She's just a girl and she's on fire Hotter than a fantasy Lonely like a highway She's living in a world and it's on fire Filled with catastrophe But she knows she can fly everyone this is your girl Michelle with Girls Talk Real Talk because when girls talk just about anything can happen. We have with us today one of the contributing authors Dr. Norma McLaughlin on the Ask for Me in My House book anthology. Listen in on the conversation with this author. Hey everybody this is your girl Michelle with Girls Talk Real Talk because when girls talk just about anything can happen. I am excited, excited, excited to interview Norma, who is actually a co-author with me on the book anthology, As For Me and My House. So you'll be seeing some more information about the book. I'm sure you've seen on Facebook a lot of advertisements for you to get out and get the book during our promotional period. And so to get started today, I'm gonna let Norma really um, kind of tell you guys about herself and to share some of that special information that will allow you to see her personality and a little bit of her heart. So Norma, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself by introducing yourself? Well, good morning and thank you so very, I guess it's afternoon now. Good afternoon. Thank you so very much for having me on today. It's such a joy and a pleasure and I thank God for the opportunity. Um, as uh, you said, I'm Norma McLaughlin and fondly known around our community as Norma First Lady McLaughlin. So most people call me First Lady, which is a name that I fought for a number of, a long number of years because it's not a title that I aspire to, but it has, uh, I guess God appointed that because it has really helped open doors for me, um, even in different venues where I've had people to call upon me just because of that name for the prayer and the openings and the conversations based on I me. Mean, I've been in nonfiction environments where that has happened. So I had to stop fighting that and say, okay, God, um, I'm giving in to your will. But I'm, I'm a little country girl, grew up born and raised in a little town called Reedsville, North Carolina. Uh, back in, I was born in 1951, so I'm one of your golden or seniors, silver seniors uh, that's new to the industry, to the literary industry. But I grew up, I was raised there on a farm. I'm a farm girl as well. Uh, graduated from high school there uh, after helping integrate the high school back in the 60s and went into the military because I was tired uh, at that time. Uh, I mean, I had a scholarship and all of that. My mom had me ready to go off to school and I said, I'm tired of living under someone else's control. So I'm going to go someplace else. Not having sense enough to know that the military is a lot of control by someone else. But at least I was out on my own. Um, and there, of course, then I got married. And the story that's in the book is about my husband, my top chef guy. Um, but I did meet him while I was in the military, and our life uh, evolved uh, from that, as you can see uh, in the story. Um, I went to school, went to college, got my doctorate degree uh, based on all of my military uh, support, and I worked my secular job, was at the university here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, at Fayetteville State University, 
um, where I was, I taught, I was in administration, retired from there some 15 years ago. And um, after we had already started a ministry, so I came home and worked with my husband uh, in the ministry full time. Uh, we also had a Christian academy in which I also worked uh, in the academy until 2013. And which, I mean, I was teaching Bible studies and doing various things. But in 2013, in one of my Bible studies, the Holy Spirit spoke and said uh, that I should help. I had all women who had issues in the Bible study, that one of the things that I needed to do was to help write, help them to write and publish their stories. So, of course, me being Norma, who I am, uh, God's chosen one, which is his name for me is chosen, uh, said, I'm not going to do that. I'm retired. I don't know anything about that type of publishing. Of course, I had written and published in the uh, academic arena, but I had not done anything uh, like that. But of course, I got the beat down uh, from the Holy Spirit. So based on that, I began uh, to write. I wrote and it also encouraged uh, all of the ladies in my group uh, which is probably over 100 and some ladies now going through the group to help write. Um, the last anthology that uh, I po that I um, published, which is I've Got to Write, it's like Fire Shuts in My Bones, uh, has six of those ladies' stories. They wrote stories uh, for that. And based on that, I went also into publishing them. Of course, we had to train them. I had to train them how to actually write the stories and, and what God had for them. And the main purpose within that, I think, was just to let them know that they had a story, we all have a story, and based on those stories, and I call them their Job stories, that God has someone waiting. And my whole word is desperately. God has someone desperately waiting uh, to hear your story. Mm -hmm. That you did not go through what you've gone through, just to have gone through it. But it's all a part of God's perfect plan. And that plan is for someone else to be able to get through what you've gone through. And they know that, that it can, it can happen, and that he will help them get through it. So that's the genesis, the beginning, the end, all to to Norma McLaughlin, I think. Uh, now, uh, as I said, I'm a senior, I call myself a senior writer. I'm getting ready to do uh, the anthology on Seniorpreneurship for those of us who started into this uh, this program or whatever we're going to do of entrepreneurship in, late in our lives and um, see how that works. I have several friends who, who've retired and with nothing to do and have picked up on various types of entrepreneurship uh, to do that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your educational journey? Well, my educational journey of course, began uh, back in uh, 19, how old was that, 51, 1957, 56, or whenever that was, when there was no such thing as a kindergarten, um, and worked myself up through uh, graduating with a doctorate degree um, in the 90s. But I'm a strong believer in education. I, as I said, I went on and helped to integrate uh, based on the fact of living and dreaming with my parents the Martin Luther King dream uh, to help integrate uh, the white high school there, thinking that based on that, our life would be better, our educational values would be better, and we would learn more. Now I look back on that particular experience and thinking, okay, I went through that, but I don't know if it was for that reason, because uh, now my true belief is education is 
for our kids, but without the love uh, that goes along with that, the love, the caring, the sharing with students, that they will not become the educated students that we were. When I look back on the education that I received in my uh, first grade through eighth grade, with the love and the caring that I received from those teachers who were all minority teachers, and compared to the, what I got through my ninth through twelfth grade years, totally, totally, totally different. Um, and so I think when I do that, that I espouse and I try to teach the teachers that are in our academy to teach that way, to show the love. As, if you show the love, you show that you care, then the students will excel in whatever else that you are trying to get them to learn and to know. And I found that to be true uh, over the years that we've had our academy, um, that the education comes, but the education comes through the type of environment that that student is in. And it doesn't even have to be a great looking environment, but the environment has to be one of caring, showing that there's love, and that you want them to be the best that they can be uh, for whatever reason. But my philosophy of education changed from the time that I left, uh, I guess, high school uh, and went on to college with uh, my college education. Of course, my um, lower level college education was with uh, at HBCU. But the rest of my education, my master's and my doctorate were from uh, predominantly white institutions. But, and of course, there was no caring or whatever. You went, did your work, and you know, came home with your son for a master's and doctoral program. But I feel that even at the um, bachelor's level, that those students need some form of caring and because they're jumping right out of a household, going into an environment that is some, for some of them negative or something they've never experienced before, but there needs to be someone there that can show them that they care, uh, someone that they can go to. Uh, I'm a strong uh, proponent of mentoring and mentorship. And part of that educational experience, I feel, is mentorship and students who get, think that you care about them will accept that mentorship and they will accept the fact that I, babe, you need to get up you need to go to class this is the best thing for you if you know you don't need to hang out i'm here for you let me know what you need um, that type of environment i think works best um, for our students how do you take entrepreneurism the authorship and the publisher editor part and be able to use it to help people find their purpose? That's a very good question. And one that I have addressed with, I have probably about 10 ladies in my writers group who now we are also writing an anthology on, uh, on forgiveness, which should be out in March. But the whole thing about these ladies, all of them are retired, except for maybe two who are not over the age of 50. Who were writing within this anthology and some those same ladies were in my bible study way back in the time when i first started to have the, the command to do that but they were at the point where okay we've retired but this is not what i'm going to do i don't know how to do this i don't think god has called me to do this and i i just can't do it i cannot put myself out there like that so the biggest chore that I had initially with them was to show them or explain to them or get them to realize that this was something that God had called them to do. 
he had called me. I mean, I was heavily burdened during that time to try to do what the Holy Spirit had told me to do. And I'm telling them, oh, listen, you've got to do this. you got to do it one because I, I'm, I already have a responsibility to get it done. And it says it's going to get done through you guys. So you need to come on and get on board. What do I need to do to help you to understand? So we went through a series of prayers, prayer meetings, and uh, coaxing on my behalf of them to get to the purpose of writing, the purpose of sharing, the purpose of letting them know that their reason for being here uh, is not to just sit at home and re enjoy retirement at this point, but to share their story to those people who are waiting. That there are so many hurting people in our world today, and God has given them the answer uh, to help with that, um, to help share. Share your story to those who, for whatever reason, uh, we don't know. You don't know who it is. You don't know where, it may, where they may be. But that's not your job. Your job is to share, to write the story. My job is to get the story out there. And God's job will be to make sure that the person who needs to hear the story gets the story. Okay. So that was my, my main thing in getting them through. Now they're writing their second story and doing an excellent job. Nobody believes that these ladies are actually uh, just starting the writing journey. Uh, but they are. I mean, they're writing from the heart. They're not, very, they're not selfish about what they're writing. They're just writing whatever it is that God has told them uh, to write, uh, not knowing where that story will end up. And that, I think that's the biggest thing, that pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is telling you to write and don't worry about the rest because the rest is up to God. It's not about you. It's all about that person who's waiting, about God and that person who's waiting. That's so important. And I think a lot of times we fail to realize that um, God gives us purpose and vision beyond what we normally would feel comfortable with. Um, mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, he does all of the heavy lifting, so to speak, on the other right. side of it to right. give us an opportunity to be able to see him work in a way that we've never seen before. Yes. And oh, so yes. I think um, I want to get into the book a little bit. Um, as I stated at the beginning of the podcast, um, Norma is one of the co-authors on the anthology that I participated in called As For Me In My House. Um, Norma, why don't you tell us briefly about your, how you got involved in this particular anthology? Well, my involvement in the anthology came late. I had a friend, Miss Anissa, who called me and said, well, I have this, we have this project that I have a friend that's trying to, to fill all of the, uh, the slots for. And I think you would really enjoy writing in this anthology. I said, well, Anissa, I have my own anthology going on right now. We're really, really right in the middle of writing and reading and editing and trying to put all of this together. And she says, but I think you would really like it. I said, well, what is it about? She says, well, really, I don't know. She said, but she needs another person to write. And I think he would feel that, you know, the good person to fill that slot. But I do know it's about entrepreneurship. I mean, whatever that is, you should be able to handle the story. I said, well, Anissa, I guess if you're asking, I'll at least hear her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hear her out. And I, I said, but I really, really don't have time, you know, to do this. 
uh, as I said, because I was really in the middle of it, because I do publishing, so I was editing and doing other people's work and, and all of that. And so I said, well, let me just pray. We need to pray. So we prayed about it. And I said, are you doing it? She said, well, I, I'm praying about it. I said, how are you going to ask me? And you praying about it yourself. So, but anyway, uh, we ended up uh, agreeing uh, to participate in this particular anthology. Um, and I guess, and as I say, I try to live my life by following of the Holy Spirit and living my life by that everything that happens happens for the good for those who love the Lord and live according to his principles. So I'm saying, okay, God, now here we go again. You know, is this what you want me to do? And if it is, why? Uh, so, and of course he said, well, you don't, it's not your job to ask why, just get it done. So I, we went on and I did uh, participate in this. I wrote this story, the story was written in very, very little short time um, because I couldn't think of how I wanted it to come across. And so, of course, while I was writing and one night in bed, it came to talk about the person that really, really is the most instrumental to me in my life and what I'm doing, my largest supporter or my biggest fan. And um, at the time, I had also written or was writing a story. Uh, and in that story, it talks about, because I'm short and my husband is tall, and I always joke with people about he's my top chef guy. That's the only purpose that God put him on earth for was so that he could make sure that I could get things off the top shelf. So in all of that, that's how I came about this story that particular story. And it talks about how he happens to help me throughout all of my uh, entrepreneurial life. Although it starts with me uh, talking about even down from the, my young age with my grandparents and, uh, and how they were instrumental in me becoming uh, an entrepreneur. And that story developed based on, on that. But it shows throughout there how um, my top shelf guy actually was my largest supporter, how he made sure that I was able to fulfill this entrepreneurial spirit, this entrepreneurial thing that works within me all the time, trying to find uh, something else for me to do. Uh, my spiritual gifts, of course, is big. My biggest one is vision, so I'm always out there trying to do something, I don't know, uh, or not do something. But again, he's there. He's my town of balance. He always says, okay, look at your budget. Look at what you're doing. Calm down. Slow, slow down. So he keeps me balanced in what I'm doing, um, and the things that I would like to do. And that's how that story uh, developed. And also, I have always been wanting to do something to show him um, how I felt about that. And so that was an answer for that as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think a, a lot of times people think that when you go into entrepreneurship, that the biggest supporters that you're going to have is really your family. And it's awesome right. that you, you're able to give him that recognition in the book because mine was a family member as well. But overall, my family, they were not my biggest supporters in my journey to entrepreneurship. Um, once they saw that I was serious about it, they started coming around. And I think the biggest message that we need to get across, even when the husband or the wife in the household is doing this, that you have to realize that a lot of times the message is not meant for our family specifically, 
they are meant for other people. If our families are blessed as a part of it, great. But a lot of times it is somebody outside of our initial circle that mm -hmm. is going to be blessed and that is going to be inspired and encouraged to even go after their own purpose and to do the things that they need to do. So I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about um, legacy. What is What legacy are you wanting to leave behind? Well, you know, I've thought a lot about legacy recently um, and what that legacy is going to be. Because as I said, my husband and I started a ministry uh, 35, 40 years ago. Uh, we're both at the age now where we're thinking about retiring from that because we, you know, we were the founders. What we're going to do about that, we also have a school. Now I have my these businesses that I'm, I'm uh I have found it and, and doing well in. So we were talking about what are we going to do? What do we want people to know about us and what do we want to leave behind uh, for them? And so my biggest, of course, I have one son who has absolutely no interest in anything that we're doing at this point in his life. Um, so, but I still not want, not necessarily it's the business itself, but the legacy of thinking of something and doing something and grabbing hold to something that you are inspired by and doing it. It doesn't matter what it is, because like my son owns a trucking business and he says, okay, mom, you know, I, and my biggest desire for him, of course, was to go to college. He started and he never finished. He went into the military. So he tells me now, well, mom, you see, I make more money doing what I'm doing as opposed to if I had gone to college and working all these years. And I'm saying, well, that's very true. And, and if that, if this is what you want to do, then I'm happy. So the legacy part of that, not only will I be leaving something behind for business for, for my child and my grandchildren, if they wish to continue in what I have left for them, is that no matter what it is, that if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, if, stick to it, listen to God, and do what he is calling you to do. Because this may not be your calling, I've left it for you, but do something else with it or make sure it continues. Uh, because as I say, if you have books and if you have things that you can sell, then you will always have a means to support yourself. Right. If you need to go out and sell a couple of these books or whatever you need to do uh, down through time, then you can do that. Uh, if you need to come back and manage the church, you may not want to be a preacher, but you can come back and manage what we have left behind, then you can do that. If you want to come back and, and, and be the principal or do something at the school that we have left behind, or you can you know, hire someone to do those things. So you will still be continuing the Blockman legacy. Um, but again, I'm saying is follow your dreams because God gives us those dreams. And it may not be what I dream for you, but if it's what God dreams for you and you're comfortable in that doing what he is and you're happy in, in doing that and you're giving back uh, to the world, and, and as I say world now because it's a global environment, uh, if you're giving back to what God has given you, because I'm a big proponent and it's not about me, it's not for me. Nothing that I'm doing is, exact, is for me, but uh, it's for someone else. It's for those people that God has waiting. And those people who are waiting 
we're trying to help build the kingdom. And that's our, our sole purpose for being here on planet Earth, is to help build the kingdom. I'm already going. You're already going. You're already in the kingdom. So what else are we going to do is to bring others into the kingdom. So whatever it is that we're doing, um, and, that, and I need to leave that legacy as well, that you're not here. Your whole sole purpose for being here, on, as I said, on planet Earth is to help build the kingdom. And my legacy then would be that you are a Christ follower and that you always follow the principles that we taught as a Christ follower. And if you do that, I think you're fine. She's just a girl and she's on fire. Hotter than a fantasy. Lonely like a highway. She's living in a world and it's on fire. Filled with catastrophe. But she knows she can find. Have you purchased your copy of the internationally best selling book, As for Me and My House? This book contains stories strategically designed to help entrepreneurial creatives jump into entrepreneurship. Be sure to pick up your copy today on Amazon.com. Share something with you. As you were talking and sharing that, a thought came to mind about when David really wanted to build a temple for God. And mm -hmm. he had the desire to build it and to do everything because he did not want um, God to reside in a tent any longer. He wanted to right. build an elaborate temple. And God told him that he appreciated that and even gave him everything, the blueprints, the whole nine of what the temple needed to look like. But he told him his son would build it. Right. And so that was the legacy, so to speak, that David left for his son was to build God's temple. And I think a lot of times we don't realize that, that even if our children are not necessarily wanting to follow in our footsteps, it may be a couple of generations down the line that they pick up where we've left off. Knowing that you've done anthologies as well, how, do, how did you relate to the process in which Leslie used in order to complete the anthology project? Well, I related to her because, I mean, I was so astounded in her process. I'm going, why didn't I think of this? Why haven't I been doing this all along? My lady, she's been taking months to get this thing done. But I liked the fact that it was a short chapter. Because my ladies write anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 words for their chapter. I guess that's what takes them so long. They have little mini novellas. But this one from 12 to 1800 words get it done we're going to get it out here was amazing for me and also the structure that was in place uh with the timeline and okay we're going to do this this month we're going to do this this month so we knew exactly uh what we were doing and why we were doing it and, and, and when we were going to be able to do it or expected to do it and to hit those timelines shows a leader that knows and is very respectful of her own and of the people that put, with whom she's working. So I thought that was amazing as well. And so I have nothing but uh, kudos and great, great respect uh, for her and the way that she handled uh, that particular process. Uh, she kept us on task. 
she kept reminding us of what this was about and when it would end and if we needed it she was very accessible uh to us which i mean that way i'm am for mine but I, I now i'm getting ready to announce three anthologies today but i'm going to use her model as opposed to my old model for those announcements uh, in that with the structure the three-month structure and to move those things on through and be ready for something else oh wow that and, is that's an that's a big deal that is saying something for you to pick up her model um in what it is that you're doing and i think a lot of times we don't realize that sometimes god chose us a smarter way of doing things that is not necessarily a harder way of doing things and I think that may have been one of the reasons I needed to participate in this. You know, I'm learning so much from having participated in this. And not only that, but I've learned more than that from her. Uh, I've picked up several other little workshops and things that she's doing. I, that I, I, said I didn't know her or didn't know of her until that time. But I think she's an amazing, hardworking, stay-on-work task lady. Uh, for a young lady. So I have nothing but great respect uh, for her and all the things that she's doing. So how did you feel when the book went um, first? Um, we're, not only are, is it an Amazon bestseller, but it's a first place bestseller on Amazon. How did you feel when that designation came out? In the I, I was... <laughs> I was over, over the top, overjoyed. I mean, all I could say was just thank you, Jesus. I mean, it was beyond, again, my expectations. Because although I am a writer, publisher, I had never experienced that before. Um, hadn't even thought about making it happen before. So that was another thing that I learned in this process as a publisher, because I did learn some things about publishing as well uh, from Teresa and how to get the um, the first in the top place uh, ratings and how to get the international ratings. So it has been a learning process for me all around. Um, so that is one of the things. And when I, we got the international one, that was even, I mean, I guess that was icing on the cake. Because looking at that, I'm going, okay, God, so I guess you're ready to propel me into another dimension here. We're always talking about up-leveling, uh, but I think that's what really happened with this book and with me participating in this book, um, that there was so much that happened for me as an individual in this book. I mean, I know that so many people will be helped and the stories are going to help people as Leslie, that was, which was what God had given her to do, but I don't know if she realizes what and how much of what she did that was a God thing for the people who were participating in her book. I think it was for me, um, because as I shared before, this was my third literary project that I've done in three years. And um, although I did very well on both of the previous books, I had not experienced an Amazon bestseller, nor have I experienced an Amazon first place bestseller nor an international best-selling author. Um, mm -hmm. Those distinctions uh, in the literary world are just like gravy. It yes. opens so many doors that would not necessarily have been open to you. And it gives you a platform that you did not previously have. 
So with those distinctions now um, up under your belt, so to speak, and the information that you have attained and learned from the process that Leslie and that Teresa took us through in order to get there, um, even from sending the covers back because they didn't match what the name of the book was, um, how are you going to utilize that information now going forward with your three anthologies that you're going to be putting out this year in comparison to what you've done previously? Well, I will be coaxing all of my authors now and letting them know the process of trying to become a Amazon uh, bestseller and a bestseller of the Amazon uh, bestseller author. Uh, which I had not done. I mean, we even with my first book, we sold over 300 and some copies, but some of those copies we did not do, I did not do the way she had done it. I knew we needed to sell so many books, but to get that team together and sell it on one uh, ID was the best, and, and I didn't, so I learned that. And so I will be doing that. I'll be doing, using, as again, as I can say, the same model, but the same things that we did uh, to push this book. Um, for my my people in the future, especially on my the next anthology, which is coming out in March, we will do a pre-sale. We'll do the same thing. We'll get all those authors, which there's I think seven or eight authors in this book to really get out there. I'm telling them already. Okay, did you see what? And I would be telling them when we were doing uh, that push uh, over Christmas. I would I text. I was out of town, but I text my office. So this is what we have to do when we get ready to do our, our anthology. Do you see us pushing? You see us pushing. You need to already have identified all of the people that you want uh, to buy those books. And between all of us, you need to have X number of people identified and ready uh, to jump on there and, and get those books over that 24-hour period. And start identifying your international friends. Because we have to, well, I'm at Fort Bragg, this is a military town. We should be able to find a lot of people that, in Germany and Japan and all that in order to help with that international piece. So what we're doing as we speak or as I speak is identifying those people and getting them on board and having them ready uh, when we drop that book. Well, I'm sure that Leslie is going to be super excited to hear that you are implementing the process that she uses. Um, I have to say that when I published my first two books, I published them as, I self-published them. So I was not mm -hmm. dealing with um, a editor, nor was I dealing with a publisher. Um, I had tried the editor thing, and Guy kind of spoke to me. He said, you edit people's books, so why don't you just edit your own book? And mm -hmm. I have to say that it took me about three weeks to write the entire book, but it took me about three months to edit the book. Mm hmm mm hmm Because I had <laughs> I know. stepping away from it so that I was not expecting what was going to happen next opposed to allowing the words to speak to me. Mm hmm, mm -hmm. And it I understand. Difference. Yeah. Well, I did my uh, first book but now I wish I had not. Oh, I'm a strong proponent now. I tell all of my authors that if you don't do anything else, we will pay for a good editing. 
Uh, I have an editor uh, who does an excellent job. Uh, she, you pay the price, but once that editing is finished, it goes through three editorial or editing processes, I guess, uh, for them. And it is a wonderful process. And when she finishes with them, they have a wonderful piece of work. Um, so I stand by that, for not only for them, but for myself as well. I mean, I can edit, but I want it still to be the best that it can be. So that's what I push. We don't want any shoddy work out there. My first one, I did myself, and I did it, and I worked with this lady who claimed that it had been through editing, but then after, and that was in 2013, um, which was a, a, I guess, a devotional and journal. It um, there were there were still errors. I was embarrassed the last couple of years when I actually read the thing again. So I said, I told myself I will never ever um, put anything out again without having uh, someone else. I'll go and I went part. through that same thing with my first book as well. And that was one of the reasons why I was so adamant about making sure that it was edited. And, and God kind of walked me through the process to make sure that the second book actually came out much, much better, much better, because I can go back and read it and I'm not seeing no typos or no um, incorrectly spelled words and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. makes a difference. So um, the three projects that you've got coming up, one of them will be released in March of 2020, correct? That, yes, one is March 2020. Well, and the others will be in um, Easter. Okay. okay. I have one that's ready that will be out March. I have a, my big thing, that big, big piece that I'm working on now is forgiveness. Um, so the our forgiveness book and journal, uh, the anthology along with the journal will be coming out for March, the weekend of the forgiveness conference that I'm hosting here uh, on the 27th and 28th. So that book will be launched that day. Uh, well, it probably will have launched before then because I need hard copies to sell at the conference. But that's the main push so that it will be still in pushing around uh, Easter. So that forgiveness, whole forgiveness phenomenon will be a part of that, that weekend. Um, but my big thing, well, I'm trying, we're working on a forgiveness documentary. Um, that documentary is for, I, my big, for me personally, I, that God has given me is that if I can get this, if we, he and I, and the people who are working with me on this forgiveness piece can get more people to understand why they are so bitter, why they are hating and all of that is usually because of some bitter root that started in a process of unforgiveness. And we can make that happen, that we can make the world a better place. So that's where I am uh, right now with forgiveness. I'm doing a forgiveness summit. I do forgiveness coaching. Uh, we do one-on-one -on -one group coaching, family coaching on forgiveness, anything that, I mean, we, I have a forgiveness retreat that I'll be heading for this Friday in the Tennessee mountains. Uh, we usually take seven people at a time uh, to that retreat. Um, and that's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing because the people leave that retreat having experienced why they're carrying around that bitterness, that hate. Um, so a lot of that goes on. Uh, I'm doing a forgiveness retreat in May for uh, women who've experienced abortion, um, simply because they have to forgive themselves 
we have a lot of people who don't realize that that anger that they have within them is not, uh, but it's for themselves or it's something that they've done and they can't make peace with that. So that's one of the things we'll be addressing at the retreat in, in May. Um, so I'm very excited about that. We're also doing interviews with people to tell their stories for the documentary uh, that um, hopefully we will have completed by June. Uh, we're trying to get at least 10 people to tell their forgiveness stories uh, for that. But that's my big push, of course, is forgiveness. And um, you'll probably see that or hear about that in probably anything or everything that I do, um, simply because right now that's one of my mandates uh, from God. Okay. Well, I thank you so much for coming on Girls Talk Real Talk and sharing your passion, sharing your words in our book that we are co-authoring together, As For Me and My House, um, and letting the people get to know what it is that you are participating in and your upcoming project. So again, this is Michelle Jones with Girls Talk Real Talk, because when girls talk, just about anything can happen. Thank you for listening in on another episode of Girls Talk Real Talk. Be sure to follow us on all of the approved podcast platforms and to like our Girls Talk YouTube channel. This is Michelle signing off and wishing each of you a prosperous and joyous life. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to seeing you again. Bye-bye.